Clare FM's Beyond Belief with Father Brendan Quinlan. It's Sunday night at nine o'clock. You're tuned to Clare FM and this is Beyond Belief. Beyond belief. A very good evening to you all and a warm welcome to Claire FM on this Sunday night for this week's edition of Beyond Belief with me, Brendan Quinlevin, with you from now until 10 o'clock. And I do hope that you can stay with us uh, until then because we've lots of interesting music and chat on the programme tonight. Well, if you've been paying close attention to your parish newsletters and to the social media of the diocese and indeed to local media during the week, you may be aware that uh, throughout the Diocese of Killaloo, we are uh, engaged in and embarking upon a series of meetings that uh, are discerning and thinking and uh, looking at the future of the church in the diocese in the light of the challenges that we face in these post-COVID times and all that goes with that. And uh, to learn a little bit more about that, I'll be talking to Bishop Finton Monaghan on the programme tonight about some of the thoughts and the thinking uh, behind that process, maybe as well as ways in which you can become involved in the process of looking at the future of the church in the Diocese of Killaloo. Well, of course, also this time of year, many people are planning their summer holidays and their little getaway. And if you are of a spiritual frame of mind, one of the items on your agenda may be the idea of a pilgrimage and travelling to a holy or a sacred site. Well, again, if you've been looking at your newsletters, you'll be aware that plans have been finalised for this year's summer and autumn pilgrimages to the International Marian Shrine at Lourdes, along with the Diocese of Killaloo. And if that's something that you might consider, do stay tuned to the end of the programme, because we'll be catching up with the Director of the Diocesan Pilgrimage, Father Tom Ryan, to find out all the details about uh, this year's uh, pilgrimages and maybe also some of the challenges that they are facing in these post-COVID times and the implications of the increased and challenges of the increasing cost of living and how that impacts uh, on the purses of those uh, who are going to travel with the diocese to Lourdes. But of course, Nisderdnisishachtana Bemidja Kilura Fela or Nail of Nashunta, Nev Padrig, Law Ela Padrig, Egderin Shachtana. So, Contosnu Anocht, to start the programme tonight, uh, a piece of music, St. Patrick's Breastplate.
And you're very welcome back to the programme here on this Sunday night. You're tuned to Clare FM and this is Beyond Belief. Well, if you've been in parishes over recent weeks or indeed if you've been paying some attention uh, to parish newsletters or social media, you will see that the Diocese of Killaloo is in the process of engaging in a series of conversations and discernment about making plans for the future of the church uh, here in Ireland and particularly here in the Diocese of Killaloo. And that's happening in the context of the worldwide uh, synod uh, taking place and about how we make decisions and plans for the future. And I'm very happy to be joined on the programme this evening by Bishop Finton Monaghan, Bishop of the Diocese of Killaloo. And I, I suppose it's fair to say, Bishop Finton, as we embark on this process, it's, it's worth looking back. In, in many ways, the Diocese of Killaloo has been quite proactive in the area of pastoral planning and taking account of the situations in which we find ourselves. Yeah, it has been going on for quite some time, serious pastoral planning in the diocese. Just as as we were embarking on these meetings, somebody sent me a link to an Irish Independent article from the late 1990s. And it was, I think, uh, the first parish in the whole country that were going to be without a priest at the time. This was uh, in in Kilinena. And uh, this was sensational news, so much so that it made national news. Uh, And that was way back in the 1990s, and here we are 25 years later, almost now, and we have 24 parishes with no resident priest. So you can just imagine the changes that have happened in that length of time, whereas in the 1980s there would have been a a surplus of priests, and there was a great tradition in Killaloo of priests going to other dioceses. So that, that is quite a change. And as you say, it has been addressed uh, very seriously for a number of years in in Killaloo, following that initial parish not having a a resident priest. And the clustering system was set up in the early 2000s, and that was the grouping of parishes together. And the vision behind that was sharing resources and cooperating together. And uh, then uh, in 2013, there was a, a pastoral plan called Builders of Hope, and there was a huge amount of dialogue prior to that and discussion and consultation. And that was, a, I suppose, a vision for seven or eight years. Uh, and then following that, in 2018, there was a refinement of the clusters that moved from clusters to pastoral area, 12 units to 15 units. and. Uh, there was a, a change in the way clergy were appointed. They were no longer appointed to individual parishes, but to pastoral areas. And the whole thing was, uh, you know, in terms of sharing of ministry, encouraging lay people to be as as involved as they could possibly be. And around that time, we took on as well the training of uh, lay ministers, uh, which came to fruition very recently. And that's been a great development. So all of those things have been happening. But at the same time, despite all of that serious planning, uh, COVID happened in the in the meantime, less and less people practicing the faith, churches emptying out, um, increased costs and, you know, the economy uh, struggling and, you know, the whole thing of um, um, uh, compliance in relation to all the, the, you know, the things that have come in stream, be it finance or um, administration of different kinds and GDPR and safeguarding and insurance regulations and all of that. All of these things are making it harder and harder uh, for, we'll say, a rural country parish or pastoral area to survive. So we're at a, a, an important, I suppose, turning point really that can we continue even in the pastoral system we tried to set up in 2018? In my view, we can't. So we have to look at some possible alternative ways of managing things. Uh, One of the things that strikes me, Bishop, about what you're saying there is we're used to change in the sense that I suppose we would always have a sense of change happening gradually over time, maybe even from generation to generation. The big difference now is change is happening so much more rapidly um, that that plans we draw we drew up in 2013 or 2018, uh, they really have uh, to some degree a short shelf life because the demographic changes, uh, the society changes, and something as you say like the pandemic has a profound effect on people, and the cost of living crisis has a profound effect on how we carry out our business. 
absolutely agree with that entirely. Uh, Pope Francis has has been quoted a number of times in these deliberations where he's talking about a change of epoch, literally. Um, if you look at even within in Ireland, if you look at all the various referenda uh, and the sea change that has happened there, um, along with so many other things. I've been reading a, a very interesting book called Local Matters by Dr. Finola Kennedy, and she tr- chase, uh, traces this change not only in church terms, but also in the way people live and, you know, the movement of peoples and the change of their loyalty from the local to uh, a much broader sense of being Irish or European or whatever it is. And that change has happened so, so rapidly in terms of how people think, how people relate, how people communicate, how people live, how people work. And all of that is having a change on how people think in religious terms as well and their sense of practice of faith and ritual and um, even COVID has changed that hugely where people that might be routinely going to church on a Saturday night or Sunday they might have replaced that with perhaps a walk in the woods or maybe a walk out to some aspect of nature or something so all of those things have contributed towards that change that you have just traced there and all of that has massive implications for us in terms of less and less people turning up on the pews every Saturday or Sunday or daily mass during the week. Now, of course, we're moving there from, I suppose, uh, a sociological question in terms of change of attitude and mindset and everything to, to fundamental questions of faith and about preserving the faith and about handing on the faith. And to some extent, the fragmentation or the loss of a sense of community uh, is happening more and more. People are living more and more online or in the virtual world. That has to have a profound effect, not only on community, but on faith as well. It sure does. And and we were just remarking just this morning, or the group I was at coffee with, you know, the, the this very week, the number of, we'll say if you take the number of suicides, the number of murders, the number of serious violent incidents that are happening, um, you know, just the, the general change of people's attitude towards so many things and, um, you know, in, in, in the whole area of the, the County Clare, if you look at since Christmas, it's really worrying to see the trend of people that have taken their own lives. And you wonder if that is due to a spiritual crisis, perhaps a vacuum that has been left there in relation to people not having that crutch of faith that gave them that sense of the supernatural or hope in the next life that transfers into uh, hope in this life as well. So all of those changes have happened rapidly. And um, I think there's a sense of sadness that that, uh, that that vacuum has developed. You know, you see it at times of crisis where people will still gather, we'll say, in the face of a tragedy and they'll pray and uh, they, they, they might return for rituals to, to church. Um, but there has been a profound change in the regular practice of that in, in the sense of being conventionally, conventionally uh, religious, um, you know, as opposed to being spiritual, I suppose. And in some ways, uh, that is accompanied by uh, what begins as a crisis of faith in communities, a crisis in community. It leads to things like a crisis in vocation. And certainly, um, and I I don't want to dwell on it because it's not the be-all and the end-all and the entire focus of what pastoral planning should be about, but the ageing and the declining numbers of clergy and we laid a senior priest to rest earlier in the week, Father Brian Gagan in Mount Shannon. And he was part of a generation of priests that were incredibly visionary and made a huge difference and impact here in this area. And so the declining numbers don't give us the freedom sometimes to be as creative and as visionary as we might like now. That is so true. You know, um, yeah, it, it is really interesting when you look at... Um, the contemporaries of that priest that was laid to rest, uh, they'd have been of um, an era that was in the late 60s, early 70s, they would have gone away and trained and brought back great social ideas and they would have shared those uh, so vigorously in the diocese and they were leaders in, in their field in so many ways and would have had a huge influence on on local people rising up and getting involved themselves and uh, being self-sufficient and the, the results of that have been extremely positive. 
Um, but things have, have absolutely changed hugely uh, in, in, in recent times and the way people express themselves is, is so, so different. But you've touched on something very profound there, the sense of vocation being just a temporary thing is very much the part of the, the cultural thing that we live in now. Whereas years ago, if you were to take a job, it might be for life, or if you were to settle down and get married, it was a lifelong commitment, or if you were ordained or professed as religious, it would be a lifelong commitment. There's less of a sense of that now. People have more of a sense of adventure and change and uh, movement and, and all of that. And, and all of that is having a, an effect on those things that were regarded as permanent and uh, as uh, so solid there in, in, in faith terms. Well, we've spent a little bit of time now, Bishop, looking back at the story of pastoral planning, particularly in recent times in the diocese, and the wonderful legacy that we received from generations of priests and people uh, who have gone before us. We might just take a little bit of break for some music, um, and when we come back, we'll talk about where we're moving to into the future and about some of the conversations and the discernment that's happening right now throughout the diocese and going on in the different pastoral areas. So this is Josh Groban, and you raise me up. Show. 
That was the voice of Josh Groban and You Raise Me Up and indeed filled with themes and ideas that might link in with what we're talking about here on the programme tonight. Uh, I'm delighted to have uh, Bishop Fintan Monaghan in studio and just before that piece of music we were talking about the story of pastoral planning in the diocese and coping with change and adapting to change and so on. There's something very significant happening at the moment in the diocese. And I suppose if I could start by talking about the worldwide church and the context with which, within which our conversations are taking place. We've spoken here on the programme before about synodality, which is a great theme of Pope Francis's pontificate. Is that a profound influence now on the way we're doing business in the Diocese of Killaloo? Very much so. You know, they were, were in this, um, what we call the synodal process, which is going on at international level, and it started last year. And we had lots of different meetings and gatherings, both online and in person. And it's leading towards a synod of bishops in 2024 on the whole area of synodality, which means we as church people walking together, clergy and laity, trying to discern what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church of, of today. Um, so we're in that context of discerning, and the three big themes of it are communion, participation, and mission. And we're trying to determine what makes us better to be communing together as clergy and laity. So it, the meetings that we're having is in that context. We're trying to do them in a, in a synodal way. Um, it's, it's on the level of consultation and discussion and sharing ideas with each other and coming up with no solutions until every voice, uh, uh, the people that are interested in giving a voice, is, is heard. So we might just start with the, how the process has been unfolding. Uh, it began with two major meetings, if you like, in the diocese, one on each side of the Shannon, uh, which was attended by clergy and representatives of uh, past parish pastoral councils and so on from each and every parish in the diocese. Can you tell me about what happened at those meetings uh, that were set up as a springboard uh, with which to begin discussions? The, the two big meetings were really to effectively throw in the slither, as I say, to, to throw out some ideas just to get the discussions going. Um, so we presented in terms of, I gave an introduction, gave the statistics, the facts, the reality of where we were at, and I, I traced the situation as, as we've done in the first half of the uh, the few words there, uh, the historical context and all that had been, had been done. And uh, then there was two presentations, one presenting a similar scenario to what we tried to bring about in 2018 from a priest from Kerry, uh, who were in a very similar situation to ourselves. Father Ger Godley is the director of pastoral formation, and he gave the approach that Kerry are taking, which was what we tried to bring about in 2018, and with some degree of success and uh, many challenges, and with COVID in between, and it uh, didn't fully get implemented. So he was trying to revive that sense of where we were trying to go in 2018. And then we had a further uh, radical proposal, really, from our diocesan chancellor, who has done an awful lot of thinking about the whole thing and has looked at the example of many European countries and American countries that had uh, not only amalgamated parishes and amalgamated dioceses that actually gone so far as closing churches in many areas because of lack of uh, attendance, but he, he picked, I suppose, the best of what he had seen there and put it in context of our own diocese. And his proposal was very radical. I'm not sure if it'll, if it'll gain traction or not. And uh, he proposed that in each pastoral area, that each parish would be amalgamated and they become one. And uh, in so doing, free up uh, the whole burden of administration and uh, bureaucracy that might be associated with, with uh, some aspects of parish life. And it would free up the pastoral, the um, possibilities for evangelization and mission, which we feel is what we're so much about. You make the point there about uh, the, there is, uh, I suppose, there's always a tendency, whether it's the order of our minds or whatever, very often to focus on things like the administrative, uh, the um, the nuts and bolts of, of running and pounds, shillings and pence. One of the things that I suppose you are very keen to underline in all of this process is that's just one aspect of it. 
the pastoral, the spiritual, they are an integral part of whatever planning goes ahead as well. So much so, and that's what we're trying to safeguard because modern-day living has become so complex with, as we listed at the beginning, things like GDPR and safeguarding and uh, compliance and insurance regulations and public liability and all of that sort of thing. And the hard reality is that if, if a parish or a church can't pay public insurance liability, then it unfortunately can't open. And that's the world that we live in. Um, but we're, what we're trying to focus on is the simple man, Jesus Christ, that walked the roads and proclaimed a good news message and a message of salvation. And we're trying to focus on that. We're trying to share that with as many people as possible to give that sense of hope that that message gives uh, and to be able to free ourselves up to focus on that, not to be doing things like uh, any uh, person in an office can do, important and all as they are, but uh, that's where our priority should be. The first stage has happened in terms of those two uh, larger meetings in the diocese, in, at which every parish was represented in, in some shape or form. It's now going back to the parishes and the pastoral areas and across the 15 pastoral areas of the diocese, another conversation is now beginning to take place. Talk to me about, a few of them have happened already. There are still a few to happen between now and the end of March. And by the way, just to let listeners know, if anybody wants to know some of the stuff that happened at the larger meetings, you'll find it on the diocesan website, kilaloodiocese.ie, and uh, under the whole area of pastoral planning, you'll see some of the presentations and the content made at those big meetings. But just to come back again now, and that's just an aside, to come back again to these meetings in the pastoral area, some have taken place, some are yet to take place, and I suppose in every way, each of those meetings has similarities, but they also have a uniqueness that's particular to the pastoral area. What kind of stuff is being asked and what kind of things and thoughts are emerging? Mm-hmm. In thinking this whole thing through, we very much recognise that in our 15 pastoral areas, there's a huge variety. You have the urban, you have the rural, and uh, the realities in, we'd say the first meeting that we had was in, in East Clare and in Ishkaltra, and you have a number of very rural parish parishes, very sparsely populated, um, and their reality would be so different to where we were the following night, which was in the Abbey Pastoral Area in Ennis, which was large urban parishes of Ennis itself and Clare Castle and Quinn, and uh, also Dura Bearfield, and. Um, you know, each pastoral area has its own unique approach. And at the beginning of COVID, our plan was that each pastoral area would develop their own pastoral plan. So we, uh, this is the 15 meetings that we're having. It's encouraging each pastoral area to come up with a solution that might suit their particular area. And that's what we're hoping to, to do. And we're presenting it uh, for discussion in terms of three options. Number one, which would be the Kerry model that I mentioned. Number two, which would be the radical model that was proposed by our Dawson Chancellor. And number three, then, perhaps it might be an in-between option that it might be still focusing on the pastoral area, uh, perhaps maintaining the individuality of the parishes, but trying to centralise the administration. That might be a, a welcome compromise. And at the same time, we're looking for other solutions. And some people even have come up with some interesting other solutions and one interesting one being perhaps dividing the diocese into five hubs or five areas and around those that you would have, um, you know, a number of clergy, you'd have a, a resource office and that type of thing. So we welcome all those proposals that are there. Having done our 15 meetings then, we have a steering group, which is a, a combination of uh, clergy, uh, the curia uh, within the clergy, a number of other clergy, uh, diocesan pastoral council, a number of our new ministers that came on stream last year. They're a fairly serious thinking group. They're keeping an eye on, on where we're going and they'll meet obviously afterwards. And then whatever proposals are, are uh, emerge out of that, they'll have to go through the various different groups to seek uh, their opinions on it at that point. I suppose it's fair to say that that those that are participating and and uh, getting involved and stuck into the process 
are genuinely probably people that are f- people of faith and people that are committed to their to their parish life and and uh, involved in many different ways perhaps in the life of the parish we spoke a little earlier on about the idea of evangelization and mission is that going to be part of of whatever emerges from this reaching out to those who are disaffected or to those who have fallen out of the habit of being with us? Well, that, that is the hope, absolutely. That's the direction that we're going. And two things that have emerged in, in the four meetings that we've had at, at this point, one is the people's love of the, the message of Jesus Christ and their commitment to the faith. And secondly, their love of their their local parish, their local pastoral area. And I understand both of those hugely. And the fear that people have is that that um, community that is built up around it, that anything would be done to damage that or to lessen that to any degree. So we're trying to so carefully manage that that doesn't happen, but at the same time to be able to move forward, to leave ourselves more free to the pastoral, to the community building, to the evangelization, to the mission, to what uh, we're supposed to be doing, I guess. One of the developments, of course, in recent times uh, and at the Chrism Mass last Holy Thursday, we had the commissioning of our 24 new lay ministers, uh, ministers of pastoral care and ministers of catechetics. I know from personal experience the impact that those ministers are already making in the parishes is phenomenal. Um, and and I certainly, among many others, am incredibly grateful for the support and the work and the training they have undergone. Are they going to be part of this moving forward and the recognition of all the various gifts and talents of, of so many people? Well, that has been one of the greatest developments of the last uh, number of years, really, and that emerged from uh, the thinking that was done in 2018 and prior to that in the, in the pastoral plan that was um, Builders of Hope. And, uh, you know, the new ministers in working in three areas. One is pastoral care, the other is catechesis, and the other is adult faith development. And they have been tremendously well received, universally well received, as far as I can see it, in the various different pastoral areas that they've been given that sense of responsibility and, and uh, ability to be able to, um, I suppose, live the ministry that they have trained for. And that has been huge. Uh, so we're at the, at the point now where we commissioned um, uh, a very eminent uh, scripture scholar to analyse how that process went, how the training was, how now they're implemented. And she is now at the, at the point of presenting us with that report. So we'll study that report very carefully. And uh, if we can, uh, have the same level of resources for another cohort of that. And it would be absolutely wonderful if we had, we'll say, 50, 100, 150 pastoral ministers that would work there in conjunction with the with the clergy that continue to do fantastic work in the various pastoral areas. So all of those things would be part of the, the mix. And there are, I suppose, new ways, different ways of, of approaching uh, the the the. Um, the you know, trying to keep the gospel alive in the in the diocese and in the various parishes. I, I suppose uh, one of the great uh, um, theological virtues that I often feel is is neglected is the is the virtue of hope. And maybe just by way of of wrapping up our little time and discussion together, to, to reflect a little bit on on what as as the shepherd as the chief shepherd of the this diocese and the the universal church in this particular area what are your hopes for this process and are they is your outlook positive or are you anxious for the future and reconciling that maybe with surrender and trust and all those other great virtues what are your hopes from this process Fintan? Absolutely, very, very hopeful, but at the same time realistic and realising the the serious challenges that are there. Uh, Many people have been describing the situation that we're at at the moment. It's it's like a minute to midnight in terms of uh, needing to do something quite radical in order for things to to continue and change has to happen if if things are to remain the same, I suppose, in terms of the great message that we have. I remember the deceased Bishop of Galway often making the point that any homily or any input that somebody would give from a genuinely Christian uh, view of things would have to be hopeful. You know, we're in the the season of Lent now, 
and we're reading from Exodus and uh, the people of Israel, despite their challenges of going through the desert um, for 40 years, they had that hope of the promised land. And as Christians, that's at our root, at our core, that's the direction that we go, that we're people of resurrection, we're people of joy, we're people of hope, and we, we can't be any otherwise, or we're not uh, being genuinely Christian. So I would be very hopeful. I, I see great pockets of interesting things been done. The new ministers is a great sign of hope. Um, the um, uh, uh, diligence of people coming to these meetings uh, and the faith that is reflected in that and, and the genuine efforts at local level is all signs of that. So I would have no fear, despite the amount of work that needs to be done and the alterations that need to be done and changes that need to be there, uh, certainly one of great hope. Well, Bishop Vinton, thanks for taking the time to take us through the process and what's been happening in the diocese. And we'd encourage you then uh, to check out in your own pastoral area or parish if the meeting hasn't happened yet. Uh, check your parish newsletter uh, for details of, of, of where they're on and when they're on. And if you feel you'd like to make a contribution, you'd like to, uh, as we say, put in the two cents worth to go along to those meetings, check them out and you'll be most welcome. Bishop Finton, thank you very much for being with us again this evening. So very welcome and, and uh, happy Lent and happy Easter when it comes to all the listeners of, of uh, um, Beyond Belief and Clare FM. And you're very welcome back to the programme on this Sunday night. You're tuned to Clare FM and this is Beyond Belief. Well, they tell us that during the month of January, many people start thinking and booking their summer holidays to cheer them up in the winter months. Well, one of the people that has been busy booking flights and paying deposits on hotels is the Diocesan Director of the Killaloo Pilgrimage to Lourdes. As on the 11th of February, the Feast of Our Lady of Lourdes, he travelled to Lourdes to make preparations for this year's Killaloo Pilgrimage. Father Tom, I suppose most of us that have travelled to Lourdes have done so as part of a pilgrimage during the summer. What is it like there in Lourdes on the Feast of Our Lady of Lourdes in February? Well, Brendan, it's a different experience from the summer. First of all, it's still winter. And this year, when we were out there, Mary Freeman and I, she's the secretary of our pilgrimage, you'd have two representatives from each diocese who would attend these meetings in February. And at February time, we were had cold weather, uh, but two weeks after we were there, then they had severe snow. So you can get all, you can be exposed to all types of weather in Lourdes in February. So that's one thing you have to prepare yourself for when you travel there. And our purpose of going there at that time of year is to plan the pilgrimage season. And we meet with officials from the sanctuary. We try to work out timetables as regards when we'd have our ceremonies, that we wouldn't be clashing with other dioceses and, and numbers and also languages, that there would be a fair spread of language that they say, like the Grotto Mass, there would be one English Mass at the Grotto each day and we would take it one day and other dioceses would take it another day. So these kind of practical matters are, are dealt with. And then there's discussions goes on with the tour operator, where with Joe Walsh tours, the Franciscan pilgrimage will be with Marian pilgrimages and also the hotels to work out the practical details and also to try to get the best value for our pilgrims because it's an expensive uh, pilgrimage, there's no doubt about that, and each year you would be doing your very best to keep the costs as low as possible. 
And during those two days when you're there, while there's a lot of business going on, there's a certain amount of prayer and ritual and liturgy as well. Yeah, we're part of a United Pilgrimages from Ireland and we would be there with colleagues from other dioceses and you'd be networking with these people and our neighbours in Limerick and Cashel and Emily and Galway, our Franciscan brothers, uh, would be the main ones we would work with because we operate from Shannon Airport. We use Shannon Airport as the airport to travel from. So there would be a lot of networking going on, but then each day we do put a spiritual programme in place. We begin the day with prayer and with morning mass and we would also spend some time in personal prayer and for the feast of the Our Lady of Lourdes on the 11th, the shrine would put on a, a torchlight procession that people would be used at night time. And on the day of the apparitions, the 11th of February, which is also World Day of the Sick, uh, we would have an international mass in the underground basilica. And quite a number of pilgrims would travel from around France mainly, some from Italy, overland, just for that day, because the International World Day of the Sick now attracts a large number of people on that day. So last year was the first year back after COVID uh, for the Killaloo Diocesan Pilgrimage. And uh, you had two pilgrimages last year, as usual, the summer and the autumn pilgrimage. It was. It must have been kind of tentative, tipping your toe in the water, going back after the break of the couple of years. What was that experience like last year, Tom? Well, we were one of the few dioceses that made a decision that we would travel last year. Some dioceses decided that they wouldn't travel, but we made the decision that we would. Now, all of us made the decision that, unfortunately, we wouldn't be in a position both last year and indeed this year to bring assisted pilgrims. Now, assisted pilgrims are people who would be cared for by our hospitality, our doctors, our nurses, our brancardiers, and they would stay in the Akai Notre Dame in the grounds of the sanctuary. And they would have some needs, medical needs and maybe special needs and assistant needs. And there's always the risk with COVID that it just wouldn't be the proper thing or the right thing to do, plus the fact of travelling on an airplane. So the decision was made early that there would be no assisted pilgrims travelling with us. So anyone who travelled with us then had to be able-bodied, independent, and make their own decision to come. So in June, we started out again. Numbers were small in Lourdes at the time, but you could see, and the people on the ground were telling us, they were growing from April, May, June. And we could see on our second pilgrimage in October how our numbers had flourished, and indeed the sanctuary numbers had increased as well, as confidence was building around people travelling and about people uh, participating in ceremonies and uh, the sanctuary as well. And I suppose our fear of COVID wasn't the same as it was initially. Now, of course, COVID nonetheless has had an impact even on the traditional rituals that are very much part of a pilgrimage to Lourdes. We all know that feeling of getting into the freezing cold bath of of Lourdes water uh, and uh, emerging and putting on our clothes while still wet. Uh, That has changed. That's one of the changes that has been brought in by the sanctuary. And the only place that was compulsory to wear a a face mask in Lourdes was when you were in the baths area. All the other places, it was totally optional. And they have changed the ritual, as you said. Now there's the washing of hand ceremony, or what they call the water gesture. And it's quite appealing in the sense that families can go in together, couples can go in, both male and female, and you go into the usual cubicle that you went into. You're, clo- you're fully clothed. Uh, the assistance is there. And there's a little prayer ritual that you engage in. And there's an opportunity then for each person to have water poured on their hands, which they can place on their face or over their body. And you can also have water to drink. And you have the opportunity as you stand at the foot of the trough to say your prayers as you normally did. The advantage of all of this is that it's less time-consuming. Uh, a lot of our female colleagues will remember over the years the queues, the hours they'd have to spend just queuing to get into a bath because of the volume of people from the female side of the population who would be attending. All that is gone now. Plus also the fact of um, the safety concerns that would be there as regards COVID. But there was also a, a position in Lourdes in recent years before COVID where the authorities were trying to move away from the traditional bath as we knew it to the water gesture because they were thinking theologically and pastorally that it was more significant to do it the way they are doing it now. So COVID gave them the opportunity to break with tradition. 
And in some respects, of course, in fact, they're going back to the origins because this was the way in which St. Bernadette, when she cleared the mud in the grotto, mm. she washed her hands and face with the water that emerged there. Yeah, and that, that's exactly where they were trying to work from for a number of years. But I think there was a bit of resistance from pilgrims and uh, organisers of pilgrimages and some of the staff in Lourdes. But I do know the authorities in Lourdes, the sanctuary, where you know this had been talked about at meetings for a number of years before COVID. But COVID gave them the ideal opportunity to implement what they always wanted to do. And you can see the significance of it. It makes it much uh, more friendly, much more prayerful and uh, less time-consuming. And of course, one of the things is that even though we're two years out now from lockdowns and things like that, there is still an anxiety about COVID and particularly for immunocompromised and vulnerable people. And I believe that has had an impact on your decision around the organisation of this year's pilgrimages as well. Well, last November, all of our diocesan groups, we, we met in a national meeting in Athlone and we were addressed by the medical profession. And we listened to their experience and their opinions. And their experience and opinion was that it wasn't the right time yet to move to uh, bringing assisted pilgrims. But each diocese and each religious order have to make their own decision on that. Uh, others would have an opinion that it is okay to do so or to you know, select the type of people that you would be able to give care for. So in what I would call the Midwest region, again based on Shannon Airport as our airport of exit and arrival, uh, the Diocese of Killaloo, Limerick, Cashel and Emily and the Franciscan Order, Father Damien Casey would be the Franciscan Pilgrimage Director, uh, we made the decision that we wouldn't um, take assisted pilgrims and... Um, you know, for this year, but other dioceses are taking them. So it's not totally uh, no for everybody. Now, of course, one of the implications uh, for that as well in in not travelling with assisted pilgrims this year is that the youth section, which has been so much at the heart of the pilgrimage as well and is one of those great sources of energy and and our pilgrims every year are so impressed by the commitment and the dedication of our young people and their genuine sense of care and concern for the vulnerable and the hurting. Uh, So one of the consequences I take it, Tom, of not bringing assisted pilgrims is that there won't be a youth section this year, which I know will be of disappointment to parishes and schools throughout the diocese. One of the great blessings of our pilgrimage and indeed of most pilgrimages from Ireland and throughout the world have been the youth section. And for over 30 years, the late Bishop Michael Harty and Father Sean Sexton and Jim McMahon, they were the pioneers of this uh, section of the pilgrimage back over 30 years ago. And in doing so, it has flourished over the years. And on average now, we would have 40 to 50 young people from the secondary schools and parishes of our diocese on pilgrimage with us right up to the COVID year. And unfortunately, with the break in COVID and last year, and again this year, it hasn't been possible to bring our young people. They've been assistance to the sick, and they also have gained valuable uh, faith experience, having experienced faith on the international scene, and to experience other young people from around the world who generously live their faith and share their faith. And it has been a great blessing. And one of the hopes would be that in 2024, we will have a youth section back with us again. But it's just not possible this year or practical. And uh, anyone who comes to us in Lourdes this year is most welcome. And people make their own decisions. And people have been there in good numbers last year will know that it is a safe place to go. Uh, It's less than two hours travel from Shannon Airport. And you'll land in the heart of Lourdes. And your accommodation includes your bread, your breakfast, your dinner, your your supper. There's two dinners a day, really. And, um, you know, you have transport from the airport to the hotel and back from the hotel to the airport. So you are cared for. And it is an experience. I always regard Lord as a little bit of heaven on earth. You get a taste of it and it gives you enough. It's like the mountain of transfiguration or gospel last Sunday. It gives us an opportunity to come down and to say, yes, it's good to be here. And of course, one of the things that we probably should remember is that um, as well as being a, a, a very important spiritual site in the, in the faith world and in the Christian world, uh, the, the, the huge volume of visitors that come to Lourdes every year have a profound economic effect on the region uh, there uh, um, uh, in, in that part of the world. And I know that over the years, uh, the Killaloo pilgrims and uh, pilgrimage staff have developed a very good relationship with hoteliers and shopkeepers and coach drivers. And, and all the people whose services are available
failed of. What has the impact? I know you'd be in regular contact with some of the JWT and hotelier people out there. What has been the impact on their livelihoods? Well, for those in the hotel industry and the other service areas industry, they have had a devastating two or three years. They wouldn't have got the same supports from government that we would have got in Ireland in the pandemic. And in many ways, it's been a struggle for them. Not alone that then, but also with the present economic cost of living crisis, especially in the area of fuel and trying to heat hotels, uh, gas bills and fuel bills. But like everybody else, they are realistic and without pilgrims on the ground, they can't survive. So they want to welcome pilgrims back and want to give them the best opportunity while they're there at the best affordable prices. But there's no doubt it is a challenge uh, for them, as indeed it is for the airlines and it is for pilgrims themselves to be able to travel at this time. And of course, one of the consequences of the pandemic that we're dealing with and we're living through right now is what we're calling the cost of living crisis. And on a practical level, as you prepare to put all the plans in place and to accept bookings and all of that kind of thing, has that had an impact on the costs of of the Killaloo pilgrimages this year? It has an impact on all the costs, not just Killaloo Dices, but every pilgrimage. And that's what we were doing in Lourdes in February, trying to get the best deal and best value. And while there has been an increase in the costs, uh, we have tried to keep that to a minimum. And I'm very confident that as a Killaloo Dices, we have done very well compared to our colleagues in other dioceses or religious orders. And we're able to offer the pilgrimage in June for €809. Now that is a subsidised price for every pilgrim but it includes the five days in Lourdes, it includes the travel, it includes the sanctuary tax that has to be paid by all pilgrims now and in our autumn pilgrimage we're able to offer €780. Compare that to the other diocese who haven't been in a position to be as generous with subsidies as we are. So it's just a way of acknowledging the pilgrims who come with us, acknowledging the cost of living increase, but also the desire of people to travel to Lourdes. So we want to work with pilgrims and with uh, parishes who want pilgrims to come to Lourdes. So we're offering it for €809 and €780 for the for the autumn pilgrimage and you know if you want to tell me another diocese that can offer a better offer I'll tell you take it from them <laughs> Well one of the things that always strikes me when, when we gather with the groups of pilgrims in Lourdes there are always people somebody celebrating a golden jubilee of their wedding somebody celebrating a retirement or some other event in their lives it always strikes me as a very beautiful gift for someone of faith uh, and maybe it might be something that, that our listeners might consider if you have parents or family that are, are celebrating and their faith and their devotion to Mary is important to them. Something like this would make an absolutely wonderful gift for them. Well, it certainly would because it's it's very much packaged. Everything is provided for you. You know, once you turn up at the airport in Shannon and you're on the plane, as I said, you're in Lourdes in less than two hours, one hour, 50 minutes. And the bus is provided for you. Your meals are provided for you. A liturgical programme of pilgrimage is provided for you. Everything is done so you don't have to worry. You know, some people, when they travel, they might be afraid of travelling on their own or might be afraid of meeting the needs that they'd have every day. All of those are met in this pilgrimage to Lourdes. And it is a place that I would love people at least once in their lifetime to experience because we can talk for as long as we can talk for, but we can read for as long as we want to, but to experience on the ground the taste of Lord is the only way one will really appreciate the little bit of heaven that's here on earth for us. So just on a practical level then, Tom, to finish up, uh, somebody's interested in making the pilgrimage, maybe who hasn't been before, or somebody is looking to return, uh, how do they go about making their booking? Joe Walsh Tours are the tour operators and I suppose people are used to now being going online so if you go to joewalshtours.ie you will get the details on the Killaloo pilgrimage. Our dates are the 27th of June to the 2nd of July and the autumn pilgrimage from the 2nd of October to the 7th of October. There are forms available in Innes Parish Office and in the other parish offices of the diocese uh, forms will be available in the coming week. Poster details are in churches and newsletters in parishes 
carry details as well. But Joe Walsh Tours are the operator and once you book with them, they'll take you through that process, getting you on the road to Lourdes. Well, a cardia shinwil uimsha noct, a sulam gorwinch of tan of agasult as clor nihiha noct. It's time for me to hit the road, as they say, as it's fast approaching ten o'clock. No, Janigi Jarmud, Gwilmi J. Kelura law, Ela Padrig, Dehina Shokuing, Augustasulam Gumwinishiv, tan of Augustult, as shin, Banachtina Fela Oriv Erfad. From me and from all the Beyond Belief team, a very good evening to you. Thanks for being with us. Ihoa, August Kolasov.